Hello and welcome to Parkinson's Pathway Pals Tuesdays with Teresa. I'm Teresa Jackson, your podcast host. Today, my guest is Allison Ballard. I probably said that wrong. There's an English way to help us. <laughs> I started out with Ballard first, but uh, anyway, we'll come back to that. Allison was born in England, just outside of London. She graduated from the University of Surrey with a degree in music and applied physics and earned her MBA from the University of Warwick. Allison also sang with the London Philharmonic Choir and she moved to the United States in 1993 with her partner, Phil, settling in the Cambridge, Massachusetts area. She completed her first marathon in a little over five hours, which is quite impressive. She subsequently trained and completed a triathlon in 2003, and then shortly she moved on to complete three Ironman distant races. Allison was diagnosed in December of 2015 with Parkinson's, and she's my guest today. Welcome, Allison. Thank you, Teresa. So please, please tell the uh, audience how to say your last name because I butchered it. I say Ballard. Ballard. So I put the emphasis on the first syllable. Okay, Ballard. And I yeah, said yeah. Ballard. If you're from yeah. uh, the southern portion of the United States, exactly. you might also say Ballard. But Ballard. Yeah. I like the way you say it better. Yeah. Um, Allison, I read and we've talked a little bit. I read about um, one of the things that led to your diagnosis was that your training just started mm-hmm. to get more and more difficult. You're obviously a well accomplished athlete. And so, what did that actually look like when you say it felt harder it felt like dead weight tell me tell me a little bit how that led yeah there were were a few things that really cropped up and um I started getting a hitch in my running stride um a hitch in my my right hip basically didn't behave and then my legs felt like lead weights I couldn't run you know I was someone that had run multiple marathons and I all of a sudden I couldn't run a mile um and then there were times at night where I'd wake up and the joints in my body were just so tired, so tired it was painful. Um, and so it just felt weird. I thought I was overtrained more than anything else. Mm. Didn't think it was anything serious, but I thought I was overtrained. So I thought I'd better back off on things for a bit. Um, and then I developed a severe crick in my neck. And that would not go away. I had it for about six weeks, it just wouldn't go. So um, eventually Phil and my partner said, just go to the doctor. Because I don't, I don't usually go to the doctor, you know, I work things through. Um, so I went to the doctor and she sent me to a spine specialist, thinking it was a trap nerve in my neck. And I'm, I saw the spine specialist and he said, no, there's, there's plenty of room for your nerve there. You've got a bit of arthritis in the joints there, but I think you should see a neurologist. I didn't even know what a neurologist was. And um, so I went to see this neurologist at the local um, HS Health. Uh, I went by myself because I didn't know what it was all about. I had no clue what I was walking into. I got told there and then I had Parkinson's. So on your first visit, they diagnosed Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Which um, is harsh and a blessing all at the same time, because the sooner you can get diagnosed, the sooner you can start working toward managing the disease itself. Uh, what age were you when you got diagnosed, if you don't mind me asking? I was 53. 53. I was 55. So right there, it's yeah. a little, little bit young for mm-hmm. Parkinson's. And I know for sure that I had I had symptoms probably 10 years before I was diagnosed. Oh, I'm pretty but, certain. I, 
symptoms when I was, I mean, certainly Ironman Wisconsin, I remember being on the bike going, oh my God, my, my legs are just dead. There's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talked about having a hitch. Um, mm-hmm. If you're from the South and you say Ballard, you might say I had a hitch in my get along. So like that, that, you know, that pain in your hip. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I, when I was diagnosed, one thing that I noticed was that I couldn't run downstairs and I would go run between meetings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would always run between meetings. I, I worked in a building that I had meetings in all floors. So several floors mm-hmm. in, this, in this meeting, I always took the stairs and I noticed that I couldn't run downstairs. And I thought one day, oh my goodness, if, if the building catches on fire, I'm going to burn up with it because I literally cannot get down these stairs quickly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was aging. I thought, man, I need mm-hmm. to be working out more. And so, um, but, you know, later on found out that's not at all what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah um, so, you know, it, it sounds like you've always been an athlete and mm-hmm. this really sort of impacted impacted that. Um, but I want to, before we get into that area, I just want to back up for a minute and I know that you shared with me that you didn't choose to tell your family right away. What drove that decision? Um, basically being distant. I mean, my parents still do not know. Oh, okay. They still do not know. They're both, my father in his, his, in his is 92. My mother is 88. Okay. They are 3,000 miles away. We have had COVID. I have not been able to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, and my father has... Um, early on well, early on Alzheimer's just mild Alzheimer's you can't tell them something like this from a distance they wouldn't understand yeah so yeah. I actually I did eventually tell my brother um two years ago now yes because uh, my niece was coming over and obviously she needed to know because my symptoms have got worse so I told my brother and then I told my niece yeah yeah I talked to someone recently about sort of this living out loud or living publicly with um, Parkinson's. And at some point, uh, for most people, it becomes somewhat difficult to hide some of the symptoms. Oh, yeah. so, so you have to, you know, decide how you're going to, yeah. how you're going to do that. Um, so it sounds like what really drove that decision was just the fact that they're far away, they're elderly. Um, it's just a difficult, situation. yeah, it's a difficult yeah. topic. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. Swinging back around to um, how athletic you've always been, and uh, I know that you recently ran a virtual, the virtual Boston <laughs> Marathon. Pretty impressive. I was about it. I, I, got, I got through it. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know how long it took you, but I can promise you I couldn't do it. Um, yes, I don't think I, oh boy, I don't know. We're, we're going to see because, you know, I'm going to be uh, riding through Virginia. That's right. That's awesome. Yes, pretty soon. That's fantastic. So. So, um, but anyway, um, so tell me how you trained for that. Cause you mentioned that training had become more and more and more difficult. And now you know that you have this, this diagnosis. How did you train for the Boston marathon? So training, I had to be adaptive. Um, in addition to the Parkinson's, I also have NOH. So my blood pressure can plummet at any time. Um, and it tends to, when I've been working out quite a bit, it tends to get lower and lower. So I had to be careful with um, going long distances by myself because I could get to the end of a run and pass out. Not a good plan. Um, so I adapted my training to make sure, and this was a, my actual marathon, was multiple 5K loops from my house. 
And so I trained on those multiple 5K loops. So every 5K, I was always coming back to my house. And Did then I would have friends run with me as the distances went up. Friends would join me on different loops. So I would always have company. I love so that. It was, it was a creative way around of, you know, getting the distance in. Uh, the one person who was a constant was Brett Miller. Mm-hmm. Brett came with me for all my long runs and did the full marathon with me. He was absolutely great. awesome. That's great. Now, when you came back and you did the loops and you came back to your house, did you take a break or did you just continue to run? No, you continue going, you continue going. Okay. So pretend it's a water stop, you know, like in, in a road race. Right. Pretend it's a water stop. It happened to my house. Yeah. I have a friend um, a year or two ago, a couple of years ago, that ran, um, she ran a marath- a virtual marathon for her birthday. And so what people did was they also would sign up and they would run mile 10 or mile 11 or whatever with her. Mm-hmm. So that's a really, really great and inspiring way, mm-hmm. I think, to do mm-hmm. that and to accomplish a big, big task. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I did. I had a blast. And earlier on in the year, in uh, June, I think it was June, I did the Parkinson's, the um, Michael J. Fox virtual half marathon. Again, I did it the same way from my house. Gotcha. Only that time round, what I did was I organized different sets of runners. So I had a group of runners and walkers that like to do 5Ks. I had a group of runners that like to do 10Ks. And then there was three of us that did a half marathon, the third one being Brett. And, and um so our half marathon has started out early in the morning. Then the 10K and the 5K runners started at different times during the day. And we, we planned their start so that everybody finished at the same time. Oh, and believe it or not, it worked. Way. That's yeah. a great way to do that. I can't imagine the exhaustion that you must have had after, you know, just in general running 26 miles is mind boggling to me. But doing that, knowing how draining Parkinson's can be. And for me personally, I struggle with fatigue. I don't know if you struggle with fatigue, but fatigue is one of those um, non-motor symptoms for me that is um, a challenge on the daily. So I can't imagine what that was like. You know, you mentioned having the hypotension and I believe it's called neurogenic orthostatic hypotension, which means to anyone out there listening um, that may not be familiar with that, it's really a failure with the autonomic nervous system to regulate blood pressure in response to postural changes. So someone can be sitting in a chair, they stand up to go to the restroom, their blood pressure bottoms out and they pass out very quickly with very little um, notification that this is about to happen. Yeah, sometimes there's warning, sometimes there's no warning. No warning at all. so I, I know that that is, um, that is something that many, many people struggle with that have Parkinson's. Not everyone, mm-hmm. but certainly um, a number of people do. So tell me, you know, let's start out with how did that affect your training? And then we'll come back and look at some other questions around that. Well, as I say, the main way to affect my training was I didn't want to train alone. Okay. So um, I lined up, for, I mean, I have wonderful friends. My, my group of friends were just truly incredible. And um, the fact they supported me through a half marathon race and a full marathon race, two, two races in the course of one year was, was fantastic. And just lining them up to, to help me through was great. I think there was one weekend on the uh, marathon training where I, everybody, it was, it was some vacation, so everybody was away. So Phil, my other half, he doesn't run, but he does cycle, so he cycled with me. Okay. So that was the weekend where I couldn't find anybody to run with me. So he cycled with me. But really, it was a question of adapting the training to recognize that I was going to have problems. 
there were, it wasn't going to be she might have problems it was she will have problems you're going to train so for prepare the, for it mm -hmm. yes for, be, train and be prepared yeah as that is an expectation and then if it mm -hmm. doesn't happen great it doesn't happen it's does great yeah yeah exactly um what advice do you have for people maybe that are experiencing this um whether it's just around their home or whether they also would like to do some, you know, some things in the athletic arena, whether it's, you know, ride a bike or, or boxing or any, any kind, whatever they like to do, what advice would you have? Because I know sometimes we can sit back and say, well, I have this hypotension issue. It's very, very dangerous. Um, so I'm just going to sit here in my chair and be safe. Just because you have no NOH is no reason to stay at home and sit in your chair. There are ways to get around this. As I said, with my training, I lined up my friends. I told my friends, this is the problem that I have. They all know. So they all know when we go, when we go out for dinner, even, you know, if we can meet for an evening, they all know that I have this blood pressure problem. So they're all fully prepared to help me if I need, if I need help. I think the other thing is, is to be proactive about it and really try to figure out what are the situations where I get myself in where this tends to happen more often than not? And what can I do about it? How can I prevent it? How can I, how can I alleviate it to some extent? So I wear compression sleeves virtually all the time. I use a lot of noon for electrolytes. Um, unlike, you know, what the doctors say, I have a high, high content salt in my food, as much salt as I can take, um, just to try and keep the blood pressure up. Um, and really just to be practical about it. Unfortunately, you're not going to prevent everything. And, and I just done my marathon and three weeks later, I got no warning, fell over and broke my arm. So yeah, it happened. I wanted to ask, uh, ask about that. And you talk a little bit about that. Um, I know you mentioned that you had broken your arm. Is that the worst thing that's happened with uh, this diagnosis of NOH? Well, yeah, that's a great <clears throat> I mean, I, I did pass out in my kitchen and smash my face up on the kitchen counter. <laughs> I loved it back oh, on. Um, but the worst one was the broken arm. That was a, that was a new. So, thing. as long as you're not changing positions, so say you're in the car driving and you're just sitting. Uh, I do not drive. I have been told I can't drive. Okay, all right. Because so I did pass out the wheel. You passed out at the wheel. Was that to yes. do with NOH or was that to do with something else? I believe it probably was the NOH. I believe it probably was blood pressure. Yeah. Luckily, I was going 20 miles an hour at the local street and bumped into a parked car. Oh, so, yeah. But it could have been a whole lot worse. It, it could have been. And it's a very, it's actually very scary that, you know, when, when I stop and think about NOH and I've had some hypotension issues, not anything like what you're describing, but a little bit where I can stand up and I can become dizzy and lightheaded and feel like, Ooh, I need to sit back down. Um, but it's kind of scary that you think you have this, this big diagnosis of Parkinson's. It's hard to manage. And then you have all, you know, all these other things that can come along with that. Um, and yet you just keep fighting. And I think that speaks to your spirit. And what I hope people will take away today when we finish our conversation is that um, you, can, you can continue. Your life will look different. There's no doubt about that. But it doesn't have to be over. And right. that fighting spirit and making, um, you know, making the best of the day is so important. And I, I think certainly your story lends itself to that. I think, I, think it's, I think it's really important. I mean, basically, 
just because these things happen, you, there's ways that you can work around it. Well, not around it, but you can work with it. Yeah, Don't yeah. try and push against it, because if you try and push against it, it'll, it'd be too much. But you can work with it. Um, so as, as I described, you know, I have my friends help me with my running. Um, my partner is always very well aware of what's going on with me. Um, Brett is great um, helping me out. Um, you know, the fact that I broke my arm, well, it didn't stop me running. I, I can imagine that it did not. And I bet the other thing that has not stopped you running that um, I haven't shared yet with our audience, though, is that you also have now been diagnosed with cancer recently, right? Yeah, I did. Unfortunately, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was early stage. So it was stage one. I had a lumpectomy. They got rid of it. It was less than a centimeter in size. I'm on chemo for a year now. So I'm about halfway through. I had radiation. Um, and again, like hey, bump in the road. It's yeah. gone, the lump's gone. They've got me on the medication. Yes, and I'm running slower now because the medication's eating up my red and white blood cells, but I can keep going and I'm going to keep going. And I think that um, that spirit of keep going and the fact that you are continuing to exercise, I think it does the opposite of what people might understand. And that's you know, when we have something terrible happen like that, you've got the diagnosis of Parkinson's and you've got the diagnosis of orthostatic hypotension, and now you have a diagnosis of cancer, it really is easy to sit back and say, oh my word, I just, I'm done. You know, that's enough, I'm done. But when we continue to exercise and when we continue to find purpose in life, which is very important, and when we continue to surround ourselves with our tribe and the people that care about us, um, we really can continue to, to have a, a decent oh, time. Oh, I completely agree with you. And I think the support network that you build around yourself is so important. I mean, my friends just mean the world to me. They really do. Yeah, I know they must. I know they must. I can hear that they, they buoyant you when in those times that are difficult and, and very challenging. And my friends, too, have been, played a big part in my ability to rise above and say, um, well, this is, this is not going to be my story. My story is going to look a little different than going home and drawing the shades and sitting down in the chair and waiting on the inevitable. And certainly my family has been um, incredibly helpful and important in a part of my network that keeps me going every day. I watched your clip. Uh, for anyone out there listening, Allison and I were on um, a documentary with Brett Miller and it was called A Night of Inspiration. And there were, I believe there were six of us on that, uh, yeah, on that documentary and some really incredible people. So I was pretty humbled just to, to be in that group of people that are warriors on the day. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was great. I mean, some of the stories are just amazing. Yeah. Your story is amazing. It's oh, just incredible. Well, you're very kind. I appreciate that. You know, I do this because I know that I was born with um, a bit of self-efficacious type of character. So it's it's innate in me when someone says you can't do that or this is gonna be bad to figure out, okay, well, that's what you say, but let's figure out what we can do that might be okay, might be better, might, you know. And then once I figured that out, I felt this immense obligation to share with other people that might be suffering, that could suffer maybe just a little less if they had mm -hmm. some education around how important exercise is, how important purpose of life is, and all those things, and building your resiliency. And so that's really why I do this, 
And so I too was humbled that um, I was on that night of inspiration, but I watched, I watched that back the other night and um, it had some film of you training at 110 Fitness there in Boston. And, um, you know, I, I think there is a, a different level, you know, you can go in gyms across the United States that are geared toward people living with Parkinson's. And I have, because I've had the privilege of, of traveling. And when I go to a new place, I always try to pop into their rock steady or whatever they have in the local area to see what, what people are doing there. So I know I, I was in Hawaii this past summer and popped into a place there um, where they do a lot of uh, Parkinson's wellness recovery training and and so very fortunate but but my point I'm long-winded here today but my point is um it's kind of a different level of training that you have there in Boston um that you don't necessarily receive in other places and it appears as though you you really um live in community which I think is important why don't you talk about that a little bit well I think that's the community around the 110 fitness group with which is run by Brett Miller um Brett has built an amazing facility down there I actually travel it's about 40 miles for me to go down there once a week. Um, my partner drives me and I go down and train with Brett once a week. But um, he opened, I think it was four years ago. Um, he has just built such an incredible community. He has such incredible contacts within the Parkinson's world. So he also acts as a sounding board. Um, he, he is a great support. I, I went down there the other week, I was having a bad day and I completely cracked up and, and he was very supportive. You know, they, he, he can, he, he's seen it all. Um, and the group of people that are down there, everybody is there to support everybody else. And it's just such a lovely atmosphere when you walk into the place and um, the classes are great. I haven't done any of the group classes because obviously it's, it's a long way for me to go. So I just do my one-on-one -on -one sessions with him. Um, but I've met some lovely women and lovely men, but um, met a group of women who are down there that we correspond with email. Um, and then I've also met a couple of women who are very local to me and we also meet together at brunch. And um, it, it's just truly supportive. Yeah, I love that. I think living in community is really important for various reasons. Um, and I think that it's really important for you know, warriors that stand out, there's people like Jimmy Choi and you, and um, there's another Allison that was on um, that night of inspiration as well, and others that really are, are in the public eye and have this appearance of, um, you know, being so strong and, you know, really being quite so strong and I think that's important because I think that's important to inspire and motivate people. But I think it's you, you brought up a point that's also really equally as important. And is that there are days that we have bad days, even though our, our um, you know, that storefront of what people see is uh, strong and, and we are engaged in our lives. There are days that we don't feel good. And there are days that we want to kick the can and say, gosh, I just want to take the coat off of Parkinson's today. I don't want to wear it today. It's heavy. And so to be able to um, have people around that say, you know what? It is heavy. I'm sorry you're having a bad day. It's okay to have a bad day today. Mm -hmm. We just can't stay in that spot though. So let's have the bad day today. And then tomorrow let's pick ourselves back up and try again. So um, I, I hear your kitty cat there. Um, what's your cat? Uh, yeah, I do apologize. No, that's okay. <laughs> a little bit of a fight going on. You know what? It's 
podcasting, um, you know, in, in a pandemic world, right? So we're at home and <laughs> they're having a bad day. <laughs> they're having a bad day too. So, so we're getting ready to close here, Allison, but I, I did want to ask you, so what's on the horizon for you? So for me, um, I will be doing the Parkinson's ride in September again. I do that. I've been doing that for the past sort of uh, three years. So I do the 50 mile ride. I'm also going to participate in a half Ironman as a relay team. So my two, two of my dear girlfriends who are very supportive throughout this whole, um, sorry about that. For anybody listening, that's throughout this whole, this whole last couple of years, one is a very good swimmer, one is a very good runner, and I'm a good biker still. So one does the swim, I do the bike, and the other one does the run. I think that's awesome. And that's coming up, you said, after your 50-mile ride. So that, that's actually that's going to be in June. So the triathlon will be in June. Okay. And then yep. the ride will be in June. And then the ride is in September. Well, um, I appreciate you sharing everything, uh, your story, and, um, you know, all of your in, very inspiring um and story, but I also just want to ask you if there's anything that you would like to share with the audience today before we close. What I would like to share is really for those of you who do have Parkinson's, it's not the end. It's not mm. the end of the world. You can keep going and it's important to keep going more than anything, keep yourself moving. It's so important to move. And it doesn't matter what movement you do, just as long as you do so. For example, I got in a bit of a rut, so I'm now trying Pilates. Or something new see if I can work better with my body in that way try something new try anything and always be sociable don't lock yourself away isolation is deadly isolation is really deadly mm -hmm. I started rock climbing last year that's my novelty sport that I'm Ooh. doing right now love it it's good for people with it's good for everyone it's good for people with Parkinson's because you're using muscles that may be weak and you're mm -hmm. also, and, and you, you know, you have a cardio burden as well from climbing, but then you also have a, cogn a cognitive yeah, right, piece right. because you're mm -hmm. trying to figure out where to put your hands and your feet so that you mm -hmm. can move on up the wall. So that's great as well. Well, Allison, I want to thank you for sharing some of your story with us today with our listeners. And I want to thank our listeners for listening. And I want to remind our listeners, don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you Tuesday.